Our sermon this morning is based on a reading from Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Well, this Wednesday, our calendars will flip, right? We'll be in 2000. 14, and uh, it's hard to believe that we're there, but uh, in light of the coming new year, um, I wanted to put some thoughts together, I guess, uh, for us to consider and maybe even give you some ideas this morning for some New Year's resolutions. Um, I don't know if you're into that kind of thing, Uh, but to set the stage here before we see and look directly at Psalm 1 and what it has to say to us... um, I want, to, I want to try to make a very simple point, um, and, and that is that, you know, in, in this room, we are all unique, we are all different um, in many different ways, um, but all of us desperately want to be happy. Um, no matter who you are or where you're from, we all want to be happy, and I'll, I'll flesh this out more later, but when I say happy this morning... I'm not talking about a subjective happiness. Uh, and at this time, the children ages three to six, they are dismissed to. And at this time, the children ages three to six, they are dismissed to here. Or I'm so happy to have received that Christmas bonus. Or I'm so happy to have the approval of my parents or the respect of my peers. That's not the kind of happiness that we're talking about. Those are good things. Those are very good things but not the kind of happiness that we're going to be talking about this morning. See, the happiness that we are all really deeply pursuing and hungering for is one that is much, much deeper. Satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and abiding peace, real, solid, objective happiness, right? That's completely independent of the ups and the downs of your life. But here's the deal. See, this quest... That we're all on to find this blessed life. Really, you know, that's the word that shows up in Psalm 1. And really what it means, that's the Hebrew word for a word that can also be translated happiness, right? Um, or, or joy or something like that. I mean, this quest, it drives us so profoundly. But what we do is we often make the mistake of searching for it in all the wrong places. We, we're driven to find it. But we start searching for it in our circumstances, right? And so, right, we're driven to find this deep joy in our relationships. And so we're driven to find security in our careers and fulfillment in, you know, raising well-balanced kids, whatever, whatever that means. Or satisfaction in the approval of others or deep happiness in our achievements. We're all profoundly driven to chase this blessed life and those kind of things. But in the end, 
You realize this in your life, that if you chase happiness in those things, your happiness ebbs and flows, right? It ebbs and flows with the tides of, what, of whether or not you have been accepted or rejected or how well you're doing or whether or not you have achieved or whether or not you've failed. Now, let me try and connect all these dots to Psalm 1, the psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 1. You see, Psalm 1 is the title page to the book of Psalms. It's the one psalm, it's the gateway into all the other psalms. It's the introduction to the book of Psalms. And so isn't it interesting that the psalms begin by basically saying to us that the main thing for you to figure out in this life is are you blessed? Right? Do you have this deep abiding happiness in your life? Psalm 1 is saying this quest for the blessed life is the deep thing. And at this time, the... Children ages three to six, they are dismissed to and at this time the children ages three to six, they are dismissed to question. Have I found the deep happiness that this psalm is talking about? Because Psalm one is saying that this kind of deep objective happiness is possible. It's attainable. You can actually get it. And, and you know, for us, that's huge that this psalm is saying this. Because in our pursuit of happiness, many of us have grown very, very cynical and very, very hard and even despairing and thinking this must be as good as it gets. And I want you to see this morning that the psalm is saying, don't give up this blessed life that you're really hungering for. It's possible. So as we walk through the psalm, I want to show you that you can find this blessed life when you're these three things, when you are nourished by a source. And when you are captured by delight or captivated by delight and when you make a choice. Okay, so first you find this blessed life when you're nourished by a source. The psalmist is describing this blessed man in verse 1. And he uses this great metaphor when he gets to verse 3, right? He says, he is like, this man, this blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. You know, metaphors are great because... They, they paint these pictures, right, for your mind's eye. And the picture here that the psalmist is giving you is the picture of a tree that has actually been uprooted and transplanted by streams of water. Right? It, it, it has been dug up and somebody has planted it right next to a stream of water. And so it's been placed on this bank of a river, allowing its roots to receive a constant supply of nourishment. Now, presumably... I don't know this, but presumably most trees would like this, right? So that they're free of needing to worry or or free of being dependent upon whether it rains or not because there is a constant supply of nourishment for them. For this tree to be transplanted by streams of water, you've got to understand this. This tree is dependent, right? It's dependent upon someone from the outside to come and uproot this tree and take it and place it by streams of water. You've never seen a tree pick up its own roots and walk and find water. It's dependent on someone outside of itself to do that. The blessed life is found when someone from the outside comes and interrupts the status quo of your life and plants you. And that is a description of the Christian 
right? A Christian is someone whose life has been interrupted by someone from the outside. A Christian is someone who finds life by looking outside of himself or, or herself and not within. And I cannot underestimate how huge this is for us to understand. For many of us, for years and years of our lives, right, we are just trying to survive in a broken, fractured, and harsh world. And we bought into the, this belief that the way to deal with the brokenness in us and around us is by looking inside of us, right? And so we try to buffer ourselves against the brokenness of life by reasoning, right, that we have to do a better job of affirming ourselves. That's where we'll get what we really want, is if we can look within and affirm ourselves. Despite what our consciences tell us and the blows we receive from others, we reason from within. Well, at least I'm not like those people, right? And that's looking inside to affirm yourself. At least I'm not like that, and so I can be proud of this. And you make yourself feel superior, because if you're better than someone else, you must matter and have value and worth. And I cannot begin to tell you what kind of evil that unleashes in the world. Holocausts and racism and genocide and bigotry and massive amounts of insecurity, right? Or maybe you, what you do is you compile this kind of internal resume that you work off, right? And you argue from that resume the next time you're confronted with your brokenness or the next time you're confronted by the harsh words from your boss or your spouse or your friends or your parents, right? You run to this internal resume. You look within, right? Look at my success. Look at my achievements, right? My reputation. Look how good I am. The things that I have. See, I'm significant. But here's what experience tells you, Right? Experience tells you the very opposite of that little nursery rhyme that we all learned in elementary school, right? Um, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We've heard that, right? Um, Experience teaches you the exact opposite of that, right? Because sticks and stones may break your bones, but words, right? Words spoken to you from the outside, they will echo into your life for years and years. Long after your bones have healed. Why do you think. Why do you think you remember with such vivid clarity. A harsh word when someone put you down. When someone belittled you. It could have been 20 years ago. And you still remember it like it was yesterday. For me there were things spoken into my life from the outside. 30 years ago that still echo into my life. And that I still remember with vivid clarity right. And my point is that those words spoken to you from the outside, they have a shaping, defining power in your life. Those words linger on in your life, right, in different forms, in shame, in insecurity, in fear, and in bitterness, years and years after they were spoken. And here's what I want to tell you about this. That is not an accident. The God who made you, made you like that. That those words would matter like that in your life. We were made to find our definition. We were made to find our identity. We were made to find our life outside of ourselves. We are like this tree, completely dependent. And so just like harsh and cruel and painful words, they have a shaping power in our lives. Words that are spoken from the outside, words of mercy and grace, words of love and of affirmation, right? They also have a defining shaping power in our lives, right? They have the power to come and undo all kinds of brokenness in our lives. They, they have the power to come and fill us with confidence and security and hope. Words like this, they wash over us 
like streams of living water and heal us. Look, this metaphor right, of a dependent transplanted tree, it's a beautiful metaphor of the blessed man. It's a beautiful metaphor for the Christian. And it's because a Christian is someone whose life has been interrupted from the outside. Someone who has been planted by grace and mercy and given an identity by the good news of the gospel. A word from the outside. There's this awesome place in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Um, and I run here all the time. It's this place where Paul, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. But listen, when he says that, it's not because he's looking inside of himself. It's not as if he's saying, I don't care what you say because I know who I am. He's not looking inside. Because the very next thing he says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. If you get what he's saying, he's saying this, he's saying it doesn't even matter what I think about myself. Because I have been planted in grace. I'm not checking some internal resume. The only verdict that matters in my life is a verdict that has come from outside of me. And makes me completely free. free So free that, that I'm free from your judgments. And I'm free from even my own judgments. And that verdict that he's talking about is that the king of the universe. The only one who truly matters. He is saying he is head over heels in love with me. Because of someone outside of me. Jesus. And that's all that matters. And it sets me free. Look, you and I are hungering for a joy, a peace, a fulfillment, a happiness that is untouchable by circumstances. That doesn't rely on your performance or the approval of others or your achievements. That doesn't rely on circumstances, whether it rains or not, whether life is good or bad. The, this blessed life, it is found when you are nourished by a source outside of you. The gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you going to give your life to this coming year? Are you going to give your life to more of the exhausting rat race of resume building and padding? Or to knowing more of Jesus who alone can plant you by streams of healing and living water? Okay, second, you also find the blessed life when you're captured by delight. I'm going to get to the heart of this point very quickly, or at least I'm going to try. There's a lot of contrast, right, in this psalm between the blessed man and this wicked man at the beginning and the end of this psalm, right? And I'll, I'll get to that a little bit more in the next point. But for now, listen to the description of the blessed man in verse 2. This is what the psalmist writes. He says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law he meditates day and night. Now, that word meditate, it, it may make some of us scratch our heads. You know, what does he mean there? And we can't do a full thing about it here. But what that means is that the blessed man, he ponders and he reflects and he pours on and he chews on God's word, right? He takes it in and he needs its story deep into his heart, right? It, deep into the darkest places and the corners of his soul. And he's savoring it and he's relishing it and he's enjoying it. He's pouring over and over it, right? But here's the other word in that little verse that causes us a little bit of pause, right? It's that word law. He delights and meditates on the law. Now look, when you read through your Bible, that word law, it's used in several different ways throughout the Bible. And sometimes it refers to law like commandments or regulations. But other times, as I think is the case here, it's used much more broadly. And it's used to refer to the whole of God's word, right? To the whole story of God's word. 
This psalm is not saying the blessed man is the man who loves rules. It's saying this blessed man or woman is the one who is captured by by the delight of the story of the Bible. Those words from the outside that we talked about on the last point come to us in the story of the Bible. And so the blessed man, he is captivated and captured by the delight of that story. And the main story of the Bible is this. You and I, we are not what we should be. And we all at some level understand this and know this. And this world is not as it should be. We are bent, we are broken, we are twisted, right? All the way down to the motives of our hearts that we cannot straighten out on our own. And the story of the Bible is that God so loved his creation that his own son entered into it, right? And he sent his son to die in your place to take the punishment you deserve so that you would belong to him and so that he could bring you all the way in as his child. He came to redeem his broken creation, to give you this deep happiness and security, untouchable by life circumstances. And even more than that, as we continue to think about the story of the Bible, you know, there's this place at the end of Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings where the hobbit Sam, he says, Gandalf, you know, he sees Gandalf and he says, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. And then he starts to come to this realization and he says to Gandalf, or he asks Gandalf, he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Several years ago, my wife was doing something and so she was out one night and so being the good father that I am, I let my, uh, at that time, three-year-old daughter Kennedy stay up with me to watch uh, American Idol. Um, good, wholesome entertainment. And, um, and I remember sitting on that couch with her like it was yesterday. I mean, we're watching American Idol together, and it was that special show that they did where it's going to be two hours, and they're raising money for children in Africa who are dying of uh, AIDS and malaria and those kind of things. And it was very moving stuff. And I wasn't even thinking about the three-year-old sitting here with me watching this stuff. And she's watching these children crying and the tear, you know, tears staining their, their dusty cheeks and those kind of things. And so my three-year-old daughter asked me, she said, why are they crying? And, um, you know, I, I didn't think she was quite ready for AIDS and malaria and that kind of stuff. And so I just said... I did the best I could, and I said, well, they have, they have boo-boos. You know, she, three-year-olds can get that right. And this may be one of the, my favorite things that my daughter has ever asked me, because immediately this three-year-old girl, immediately she saw a story, right? And she asked me, is Jesus going to make it better? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the story of the Bible has an answer to that because of Jesus. And it's yes. A broken creation redeemed by the grace of God and the person and work of Jesus. And one day, someday, this king will return and make everything wrong in this world right again. The psalmist is saying that the blessed man, he can't get enough of that story. He reflects and he ponders it and he savors it and he chews on it and he works it down into the deepest parts of his soul. In some way, he is constantly surprised right, and astonished by grace. It is his ultimate delight, the story through which he sees every other story. So what about you? 
You know, are you a blessed man or woman? I mean, deeply and objectively happy no matter your circumstances because this story is your deepest and truest delight in life. Do you know how to pound this story into your sin-torn, fearful, and wondering heart until it begins to change you from the inside out and you begin to see every story in your life through this story? You know, I phrased the second point in a strange way I know, captured by delight. What in the world does that mean? I want you to think about this just for a second. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We, we are all, I don't care who you are, we are all looking for a Savior in this world. And you don't have to be a Christian to get what I'm saying. I'm talking about we are all looking for real, functional Saviors in our lives. Saviors that in some way promise to rescue us from the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of ourselves. And some of us, we turn, you know, we turn our jobs into saviors, right? If you can be a success in your work, it gives you worth. Or maybe your dream is a bigger paycheck that'll, that'll promise to give you some kind of security in this life. Or you can turn sex into a savior, right? Looking for love and acceptance. Or you can turn alcohol or pornography or entertainment, escaping and numbing the pain and the brokenness of this life. Or a stable family that you think will give you comfort or stability, right? It really can be anything. We're all looking for saviors, functional saviors. But here's the truth that you need to consider. A while ago, there were some people who came along and they said, you can accept Jesus as a savior without having him as a Lord in your life. And it was this heresy in the church. We're not going to get into it all. But they were saying you can have Jesus save, save you from your sins without submitting to him as Lord. Now, here's the problem with that. You can never, never, never separate savior from Lord. They always come together. You can't separate it in Jesus. And you know this from your experience. You also can't separate it in your smaller functional saviors in your life. Embrace your career or approval or family or sex as your savior. And I promise you this. It will own you. If you get where I'm going with this. You are always captured by your supreme delight in this life. Whether you're a Christian or not. Delight in this story of redemption though. Make it your supreme delight. And I'm telling you it will change you. From the inside out. Because Jesus he is the one master. Who can come and set you free. Only this story. Only this story. Has the power to break you and remake you. Into the person you most deeply want to be. In this life. And so if I can make a suggestion to you. For New Year's resolutions. Um, I think it would go like this. Would you commit this next this coming year to reading your Bible regularly and habitually? Not in a way of legalism, but because you are looking for this story. Because you are looking for this story, the story of one hero who came to undo the brokenness of the, this world. Right? Will you commit to that? Because I'm telling you, the Bible promises you that this story will change you. And you should also make a commitment to being in church because God gave his creation this institution, the church, to be a place where this story is spoken to you again and again and again and applied to your life so that it would become your supreme delight in life. Can you make that kind of commitment in this coming year? Because the Bible says if you do, it will change you. This is how God works to change his people through this story. OK, this leads me to my final point. In addition to everything that we've already said, 
you find the blessed life by making a choice. For all that Psalm 1 says, it says a lot more than even we're able to talk about this morning. This is a really, really blunt introduction into the Psalms, right? Because you see, what the Psalm is saying is it's saying, there isn't a third option for you, right? The Psalm is pushing you off the fence. You are either wicked or blessed. And you have to make a choice. Right? The psalm is pulling you off the fence and saying, make a choice. So what is the wicked man like in this psalm? The blessed man, he's like this tree that's been transplanted by streams of living water, right? But the wicked, verse 4, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. And it makes more sense, I know, if you're, you're from this culture, right? But in this culture, you know, when you brought in your crop, you brought in the grain with the worthless chaff. And the way you would separate those two things is you would throw them into the air. And the wind would come and it would drive the chaff away, the worthless, useless, light chaff, and it would blow it away and the heavier grain would fall to the ground. And that was your harvest, right? The blessed man, he is saying... it. He doesn't have roots sunk deeply in. He's not nourished by the stream. The wicked have no roots, right? They don't have an identity and a definition that will last. Verse 5, they won't be able to stand in judgment. They don't have a source of grace outside of themselves, and they aren't captured by the delight of the Bible story. And then, of course, the beginning of the psalm, right? The blessed man, he's contrasted negatively with the wicked, who it says, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Those verses there, there's a lot there, but those verses are about a progression, right? From walking to standing to sitting in the seat of scoffers. And I know that there are some of you here this morning who are thinking, I'll get around to this blessed life later. You know, I'll get around to dealing with Jesus later, but I don't want to give up this or that in my life right now. See, this psalm in describing this progression is asking you this question. Are you sure about that? Are you sure you'll get around to Jesus later? Because there is a progression from walking to standing to sitting in the seat of scoffers. I was watching the National Geographic channel one day and they showed this little red salamander and it was working its way down this little creek, right? And so the, it's HD, you know, all this kind of stuff. So you're seeing this beautiful little salamander swimming its way through the creek. And, uh, and then it showed you this huge frog sitting on the bank. <laughs> and, uh, and so as you're watching this little thing and they're playing the music in the background or whatever, um, this frog, all of a sudden, it, I mean, in the blink of an eye, they show it to you in regular speed. It, it jumps onto this salamander and swallows it whole in just one, just one, one movement, you know. And then it crawls back up on the bank. And they, you know, it's HD, so they, they have fun with it. And they back it up and they play it in slow motion. And you see this frog pounce on the salamander and swallow it and take it all in. And uh, the funny thing about this little thing that they were showing is 30 seconds after this frog had swallowed this salamander, And it crawled back up on the bank. 30 seconds later, that frog was dead. See, the salamander had some kind of poison on its skin. And when the frog took it in, it was game over. So the next thing you know is that little red salamander pushed open that dead frog's mouth, crawled out of that frog's mouth, and slithered back into the creek and was on its merry way again. The frog was dead, right? That little salamander thing, you know, it looks so 
it looks so harmless. It looks so innocent just swimming in that water. And you may be thinking, I know that the direction of my life isn't what it should be, but it's harmless. And so you flirt with it and you push the limits. And I'm telling you, there's a progression that leads to death. That's what this psalm is saying. Are you so sure you will come back to Jesus? You have to make a choice. And I want to say this as best I can in love to some of you. Some of you profess to follow Jesus, but it's not really that obvious in your life. You are trying to sit on the fence and flirt with all kinds of other things that you hope will make you happy in this life. And the psalm is saying that is an unbelievably dangerous place to be. It looks harmless to you, but you have to make a choice. So what's the other side of this psalm? What's the choice of the blessed man? It is to look outside of yourself to Jesus. It is to see him as Savior and Lord. It's to stop trying to be your own Savior in this life and to fall at his feet and trust in the work of the cross, his work on the cross. It's to be captured by delight in this story. All these things that we've talked about is to fall at his feet in worship, in submission and adoration. So let me give you a little picture of what this looks like. And the reason I think it's important to give you a picture of what this looks like is because as empty as all those other saviors are in your life, it, it can be scary to think, I'm going to take my hands off of my life and let go of those things and put all my trust in Jesus. It's another story about my daughter Kennedy. She's famous this morning. Um, and she was, also when she was three years old, um, at the time we were living in Starkville, Mississippi, and I was working as a campus minister at Mississippi State University, and we had these friends who had this lake on a house, or lake on a house, this house on a lake. Um, that would have been very weird. Um, but um, so they invited us over this one afternoon to let our fit, our good grief, our kids go fishing off this dock. And so we showed up, and we're fishing for brim, and we have these little poles and everything, and we're baiting hooks and all this kind of stuff. And while we're baiting the hooks, our, our daughter Kennedy is standing on the edge of the dock, and she took one step backwards. And the next thing we know is we heard this huge splash and this scream. And she had gone over the side at three years old, obviously unable to swim. And so, you know, I'm her daddy. And so I didn't have to think about it, right? You, you don't think in that moment, you just do. And so the next thing I know is I'm in the water with her, right? Wallet and iPhone and everything. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I lift this crying, scared little girl and put her back on the dock safe, okay? About two weeks went by, and, um, and these same friends, they invited us over to their house again. And so we're putting kids in car seats and all that kind of stuff, and uh, we feel like we need to prepare our daughter, you know, for where we're going. We're about to go revisit the scene of the crime, you know, the place of the trauma. Um, and so we're, we're telling her, we're going over to these friends' house again, the ones with the house on the lake or the lake on the house, whatever. Um, and, um, and so we tell her where we're going, and as we're buckling her into her car seat, three-year-old little girl, she says, Mama, we need to make sure to bring some clothes in case I fall in the lake again. And it, the thing about it was that it was just absolutely beautiful because she wasn't afraid, right? She wasn't afraid. There was no fear in her, in her voice. And in that moment, we realized that she wasn't scarred by her experience because the one thing she knew was is that if she went into the water, 
her daddy would be in the water again. And pulling her out to safety every time. All she had, you know, all she needed was some backup clothes. Everything else would be fine. You can make this choice and trust and submit to Jesus because he made a choice far more difficult than you have to make. He saw his broken and twisted and bent creation and he went in. And he went all the way in. He took on flesh and he went into darkness on the cross carrying your sins and mine. He went there and he rescued you by his grace to plant you by streams of living water so that you have nothing to fear in this life. If I can say that this is what your pastor wants for you this year, I want you to give your life to Jesus and to know how freeing and how beautiful and how safe that is. To commit to working this story of redemption through Jesus into your life, into the deepest, darkest corners of your soul. And as you do, to find yourself planted and nourished by the living water of the gospel. Friends, this is the only way to find the deep happiness and fulfillment and joy and security that you long for in this life is by giving your life to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we have had time together to open your word and to look into it and to see again the wonderful story of redemption in Jesus. Father, we pray that this psalm, it would make sense to us even where I have failed to make sense. That the only hope in this life is for us to not look within ourselves for salvation, but to look outside of ourselves and to Jesus. And Father, I pray for us in this coming year that we would indeed find ourselves captured by the delight of the story of the Bible, of one hero who came, who came to redeem the world and to put it back together again, who came to make all the sadness in this world untrue. Father, help us. Push us off the fence, we pray, by your Spirit. And give us grace and courage to trust Jesus. To leave our other smaller functional saviors in life. And to put all our hope and rest in Him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.